You're listening to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Haley Schaff, and my goal is to empower you to become the alpha of your health. All right, well, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're going to do a deep dive into all things PCOS. I have talked about PCOS quite a bit on the podcast. If you listen to the episode that I did with Danny Hamilton, that was back probably over a year and a half ago. And I definitely have addressed PCOS quite a bit, especially on various Q&A podcast episodes. So definitely be able to go back and listen to those. But today we're going to cover a little bit more overarching component of PCOS because in the one I did with Danny Hamilton, that one was more focused with blood sugar balance as it relates to PCOS, which that is a very important aspect. And honestly, the biggest diagnosis factor of PCOS, usually I'd say, I think the correct percentage is 75 to 95% or 70 to 95% of cases have an insulin or blood sugar component. And we'll get into that. I'm going to, we're going to talk about all of the causes and forms, but most people that I see, they don't just have one form. Like they don't just have blood sugar dysregulation. They have the other components as well. So we're going to be able to dive into all of that. But first starting out PCOS, what does it mean? It's obviously a an acronym for something. So PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. And most people think that cysts on the ovaries is the main diagnostic criteria, which is actually false. So according to Western medicine, the diagnostic criteria for PCOS, you have to meet at least two of the following. You have to have either irregular periods or infrequent periods, which is indicating that your ovaries are not releasing an eggs or ovulating. So you're not making progesterone, which is the main reason that your cycles are longer or irregular, or you're missing them, or they're just very infrequent. Maybe they're short one month, long another month, and they ebb and flow. So that's number one in terms of Western criteria. Number two, is you have blood tests that show that you have high levels of androgens. Testosterone is the main one that they're looking for. So the testosterone can correlate to the weight gain, hair growth on the face or other parts of the body, but hair loss on the head, uh, cystic acne. Those are big testosterone drivers. Um, Or the third diagnostic criteria is scans showing that you have polycystic ovaries and cysts, aka cysts on your ovaries, which is essentially those cysts are just, they're fluid like sacs. And for the record, it is not abnormal to at some points in your life form fluid like cysts. Uh, sometimes when we don't ovulate, a cyst will form and it just kind of goes away on its own. We obviously don't want fibroids or cysts to become an issue over time because that can obviously be problematic. We don't want any type of abnormal growth, but so the way Western medicine really treats it as they look at those three criteria, they're listening to your symptoms, maybe (laughs) they're looking at if you have two or three of those criteria, okay, you have PCOS. I see PCOS as a much more overarching and uh, very spectrum-like diagnosis, which I hate when I hate even using diagnostic terms because I think people 
latch on to a diagnosis of, oh, I'm hypothyroid or, oh, I'm Hashimoto's or, oh, I have PCOS. And that's just like, that's who I am. And I don't like that because a lot these things are all reversible. I've, all of these things are, and they're caused by a reason, which we're going to talk about. And I, I very much so see PCOS as like a spectrum and not just like, oh, you have A and B, you've got C type thing. So then the typical other treatments for the typical con- conventional medicine treatments and protocols for PCOS would be metformin, birth control, maybe spironolactone if you have acne, and that's mainly it. <laughs> they usually put you on birth control, especially because you've got irregular periods, so they're going to put you on birth control to fix your irregular periods, but then you come off birth control and then you have which see, what feels like post-birth control PCOS, or it's just your PCOS-like symptoms coming back because they were never addressed. That was what was in my case. I very much so had PCOS-like symptoms, off-birth control, the cystic acne, the oily skin, the almost dark hair growth in certain areas, like my chin, um, which wasn't super pronounced, but that's definitely a high androgen symptom, uh, the blood sugar dysregulation, and So that's what kind of leads me into, okay, what are these different kind of types or characteristics that PCOS can have? And androgens, high androgens is one of the most common. As I was mentioning, high androgen symptoms can be weight gain. That's a really, really common one that we see because high androgens are typically caused by blood sugar dysregulation. And blood sugar dysregulation, especially in terms of high insulin. So even if your blood sugar might be normal, if insulin is dysregulated or insulin is high, insulin is really what's driving that testosterone and then that and those androgens. Androgens can also be DHEA, which we'll talk about DHEA, especially as it relates to adrenals, because they they definitely both go hand in hand. So weight gain is a really common one, cystic acne, hair growth on various parts of the body, but hair loss or hair thinning on the head. Those are really common, especially with the blood sugar dysregulation and the androgen component, because I see those two is definitely going together. But what about people who might be lean, but have PCOS? Well, there's definitely other forms that we're going to continue talking about, but you can still be lean and have dysregulated blood sugar. I was for sure that person because I, I remember very specifically, very certain instances where I would just be like sweating and my brain was going fuzzy and my, it's almost like it was hypoglycemia is exactly what it was. And I would have to rush to the pantry and grab something to eat. And I would have to eat every two hours to, you know, keep my blood sugar stable, but that's not what fixed my blood sugar. Well, fix my blood sugar was fixing my metabolism, which I have tons of episodes on metabolic health, which if this is what you're suspecting, definitely go back and re-listen to those. Re-listen to podcasts and things that you resonate with because I do this all the time. I was listening to one today where I was getting a lot of good information and I went back and I listened again because I had picked up new things and I understood things a little bit better. So I see this a lot with people who maybe listen to one podcast and they have some questions or not sure how to implement it, go ahead and listen to it again. Throw it on when you're cleaning, walking your dog outside or like something so that you're constantly reabsorbing this information. So now as you're listening to this, maybe you've listened to the metabolic health podcasts before that I've done, but maybe now that you know a little bit more context, go back and listen to them so you can really get even more out of some of the stuff that we're talking about. So 
Like I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, 70 to 95% of PCOS cases do have an insulin component, whether weight loss is a symptom or not. You can be lean and still have insulin issues and blood sugar management issues. So that's very, very, very important. But there are so many other factors at play, right? I say this so many times and I really wish I had a dollar for every time I said the body's connected because it truly is. And I would probably be a millionaire because the body is connected. So all these other types, the adrenal, the inflammation, the gut, and what is the last one? The liver. All of those are interconnected with each other, even though those are all kind of icy types or cases of PCOS, right? Like we, we, we know that inflammatory PCOS is a thing, but okay, why there's, why is there inflammation? Well, there's, could be inflammation because they have leaky gut, or there could be inflammation because they're chronically stressed, or there could be inflammation because their blood sugar dysregulates. So you can see how these very much so overlap and combine with each other. So just because you got your androgens leveled, your androgen measures, your androgen levels measured, <laughs> Oh my gosh, I cannot use my words. Just because you got those measured and the androgens were high, that doesn't mean just stop there because there there could be other things that you might have like an adrenal component and a liver component. So moving on to kind of the inflammation component, measuring inflammation is huge, especially if you're struggling with something like weight gain. Weight gain is a great sign to me as a clinician that you've got inflammation in your body. So it's not as simple as just calories in, calories out, right? Um, but inflammation can be high due to stressors on the body. So maybe overtraining, maybe you're underactive, maybe you're eating inflammatory foods, maybe you have gut infections or parasites or SIBO or candida or leaky gut. Maybe your circadian rhythm or adrenal axis is imbalanced because that definitely can create inflammation. If you're that person that you don't have any energy all day, but at the end of the day, you get almost that second wind before you go to bed, that is adrenal dysfunction and circadian rhythm imbalance. And that's very inflammatory to the body. Our adrenals, as we'll get to, are very, very sensitive and they like things to be just perfect. They're like our, our all, like our little grandmas right inside us. They, they like to have consistent bedtimes. They like to have routine. They like all of those things. And when those things are off, they can get a little upset. And we'll get into that a little bit more. So measuring or managing inflammation is very important, right? So a big thing for PCOS is lower fat diet or sorry, lower carb diets, higher fat, which can be great uh, for people who really need to manage their insulin and their blood sugar a little bit better. But if you're eating foods that are inflammatory, even though they're higher fat or, you know, they're keto, which I don't think you necessarily need to be full-blown keto to manage your PCOS, especially if there's an adrenal component. So as you can see, my mind is going in a lot of places because this is very complex. So there, it's not black and white. And that's, I think the main point that I want you to see is we are, we treat it as a black and white condition. Whereas, oh, this is it. It is, this is your treatment protocol, but look at all these different things that I continue bringing up in my mind. And, oh, this is correlated to this, but, oh, this is what we typically do, but this might be too stressful on the body. And we know adrenals is supported. So bringing it kind of back full circle, there is no one size fits all. And that's why I think it it is really helpful if you're struggling to work with someone who can make it personalized to you. But I definitely know for a lot of people, even just lowering their carbs or lowering high glycemic carbs and really managing their blood sugar, wearing continuous glucose monitors can be very monumental for managing and healing from PCOS, right? That's Great. You just want to make sure you're doing it through whole foods, anti-inflammatory foods for you, 
really work on healing the gut and really kind of bringing all of these different pieces together. So the adrenal component is interesting because your adrenals, your some adrenal markers that we can see, especially on things like the Dutch test, your DHEA and your DHEAS, which the DHEAS is only something we can see on something like the Dutch test. So if you get standard blood labs done and you get you know, say DHEA and testosterone, that's great if you show those are off or maybe they're normal, but you don't know what those metabolites look like. So DHEAS is a sulfated form. So you might have very high DHEA, but you might have very low DHEAS, which that shows me a lot of adrenal dysregulation going on. And for testosterone, I was just looking at a lab the other day. Someone was completely normal with their testosterone, but their androgens were very high. Their DHT or their 5-alpha pathway on the Dutch test was very high. That is a very androgenic form of a metabolite. It's three to five times more potent. So that is giving them those high testosterone symptoms. But you can't get that on a blood test. You only can get that through urine uh, hormone metabolites. So it is definitely a complex kind of picture for sure, but it, it is just nice because it shows how you can make it very personalized to you. So in terms of your adrenals, adrenals dictate your blood sugar. I've seen this so much with people that have done my metabolic makeover in my online membership. Everybody's blood sugar was so much better after they meditated. They might be super high, they meditate and it goes down. It's like, whoa, that is totally showing you that HPA hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access and how it affects your blood sugar. I see that almost all the time. That is that was one of the biggest triggers for me in my blood sugar was stress. So is like adrenals are its own kind of component to PCOS, but look at how intertwined adrenals are to blood sugar and to inflammation. I mean, it's it's wild. So adrenal health can be compromised again for so many different things, various stressors, you're overactive, you're underactive. You know, people say, don't do hit or don't intermittent fast or intermittent fast a lot. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, there's, there's extremes on both sides. And I think, especially with PCOS activity, especially physical activity is incredibly important, especially resistance training when it comes to maintaining healthy muscle mass, healthy metabolism, and even adding in HIIT workouts here and there to really, really help that insulin. It's just not about overdoing it. So especially if you have more of an adrenal component, you just make it a little bit more personalized too, and you make sure that you're having more rest days or that you're prioritizing rest and recovery and that you're not doing HIIT at certain times in the month, maybe when your body's trying to ovulate and trying to make progesterone. And it's, you can refer to the episode that I did on training for your cycle. If you want to kind of learn a little bit more about that as to when the body's a little bit more tolerant to certain things than others. So adrenal is very important. We love supporting our adrenals with things like vitamin C, minerals. Minerals are one of the best ways that we can support our adrenals. And conveniently, minerals are also a very, very great way to help fix insulin resistance. So minerals, trace minerals, uh, salt, potassium, all of those are very, very important. Coconut water is a really good source. If you're going to do something like coconut water or adrenal cocktail, especially if you're thinking that there's some blood sugar dysregulation, just make sure you're always doing that after a meal. So 
blood sugar 101, you always want to make sure protein, fiber, fat are prioritized before carbohydrate in a meal just for that blood sugar balance. So if you have a salad before your meal and then you have your protein, you have your fat, and then you have maybe say you made a sweet potato that comes last at your meal because that helps with that blood sugar balance. Then if you are into kind of the adrenal cocktail buzz and vibe that's going around, don't do that on an empty stomach in the mid-afternoon because then instead of a mid-afternoon crash, you're going to get a crash around dinner time, especially if you have blood sugar issues. So maybe you add some collagen to your adrenal cocktail or you just do it, you sip on it a little bit after a meal so that you have something substantial on your your stomach so that that adrenal cocktails, not just hitting your system and spiking that blood sugar. So there's so many ways that you can really add things, all of these different things in, whether it's exercise or whole food nutrition to make sure that it's fitting your specific case of what you're dealing with. So adrenals also love, like I said, they love rhythm and they love routine. Think about it to yourself. Do you have a morning routine? Do you have a nighttime routine? Do you have anything that tells your body we're safe, we're calming down, we're resting for the day? If you said yes, awesome, good for you, that's amazing. If you said no, that's okay. This is your sign that you probably should make something. And it doesn't have to be crazy. When I'm helping people form these routines, because I say I do lifestyle medicine, when I'm helping people form these routines, it's not like I'm asking them to wake up an hour and a half early and do the sauna and then do a cold plunge. And then you're going to read 20 pages and then you're going to do 20 minutes of red light and then all these different things, which I'm not saying that a routine like that's bad. If you want to do something like that, please, by all means, go for it. But to form a routine for your adrenals can be as simple as you're waking up 10 minutes earlier so that you can sip on some warm water with minerals or salt maybe do a little bit two to three minute of deep breathing or meditation or journaling before you start your crazy and hectic day. And then maybe your nighttime routine is literally just either journaling, deep breathing, stretching, yoga, phone detox, nighttime skincare routine, or something like that, that you just are telling your body like, okay, we're when you're in the morning, you're kind of easing into your day and your nighttime routine is, okay, we're easing into our nighttime routine so that our body can come down and our cortisol can come down. And that's really what you're looking for because I'll see dysregulated cortisol. And that tells me that there's obviously an adrenal component, but that a dysregulated cortisol, as I mentioned earlier, is very inflammatory. We don't think of it to be, but like high cortisol, very inflammatory, but also low cortisol not great either because that's just showing your body is struggling for energy. So we want to make sure that it's nourished with all the nutrients, minerals, vitamins that it needs so that those adrenals can feel safe. Because if we think of this hormonal hierarchy, if we think of the most important kind of the top of the funnel or the bottom before you go to anything else, that's your cortisol. Like the biggest chunk of your hormone hierarchy would be your cortisol and your adrenals or sorry, your cortisol, adrenals, and your uh, metabolic markers, like your insulin and glucose. Those are the two most important markers before we even think about thyroid, before we even think about sex hormones, those two have to be balanced. So think about how important that is, especially in the context of PCOS. The, The metabolic markers are off and oftentimes a lot of the adrenal markers are off. So of course that's going to be throwing off your sex hormones. Of course you're not going to be having an ovulatory cycle or you might have long or irregular cycles. Of course you're going to have high testosterone because your blood sugar is dysregulated. So I always go back to that hormone hierarchy when people are like, how do I increase my 
my progesterone or how do I decrease my testosterone? It's like, okay, well, we got to look a little bit, we got to look down the pyramid here and we have to look at what are, what are the top dogs saying? What are, what is your metabolism and your metabolic marker looking like? So we talked about gut health. Okay. Liver health, it would be, or liver stagnation would be kind of the last piece that I feel like isn't talked about as much with PCOS, but I see it as just as important. So your liver is detoxing everything. 67% of women have fatty liver or even non-alcoholic fatty liver which is crazy. And especially when it comes to hormones, I see liver stagnation be almost always something that we're going to address. So if we think about it in the sense of PCOS, stagnant liver or poor liver health can contribute to acne. It can contribute to irregular cycles or PMS or weight gain or blood sugar dysregulation. And I could go on, but I just named off five prominent symptoms of PCOS from liver stagnation. And what I mean by liver stagnation is your liver is just not processing and detoxifying as quickly and efficiently as it should be. So when that happens, hormones continue to get kind of bogged up in the system, for lack of better words. Your body's not detoxifying them as quickly. Um, And because of that, your blood sugar can suffer um, because things aren't getting out. Things can show up on your skin. So I would almost see the liver is almost the most prominent organ that we would want to start with, with any type of PCOS diagnosis. That's why everybody pretty much that comes to me with PCOS, they get castor oil packs and they get liver supporting herbs, liver supporting foods, beets, garlic, carrots, cruciferous vegetables, beef liver, all of those things, because we have to kind of un get the liver unstuck. So that things can get moving. And then as things get moving, you're recycling your hormones a little bit better. You're recycling your insulin a little bit better. You're recycling your blood sugar. You're getting rid of waste so that those environmental toxins and that stress, think about that stress that the body holds on to when it's not getting rid of what it needs to. See how the liver goes back to the adrenal component? Everything is connected. Say it with me. Everything is connected. Yep. So What are some things that you can do if you are suspecting PCOS? If you want to maybe get some, I'm going to give you guys some labs um, that if you want to just kind of ask your practitioner for. So if you're suspecting blood sugar issues, you want to look for hemoglobin A1C, fasting glucose, and insulin. Insulin, I would argue, is actually the most important hormone that you want to look for because I've seen so many people that have normal hemoglobin A1C, normal fasting glucose, but their insulin is through the roof through the roof. So that's kind of more of a pancreatic insulin type thing more than it is anything else. We want to look at those. Um, In terms of gut tests, you know, we can definitely do something like a stool test. Um, I don't really recommend doing just a standard stool testing that you can probably get from your primary care. But yeah, those probably aren't really going to tell you that much. In terms of HPA or adrenal access, you can get full thyroid panel. Um, TSH is not a full thyroid panel. TSH is actually not even a thyroid hormone. It's a pituitary hormone, which in this case, your HPA is your hypothalamus pituitary axis. So pituitary is in that. So TSH is a pituitary and adrenal type marker because it is showing kind of how stressed your body is. The higher that number, kind of the more stress that you can see that your body's under. So it's not a thyroid diagnostic marker, but in this case, we're not looking for that. So you can get, 
ideally a full thyroid panel, but if you can just get even a few thyroid markers, that would be good. Um, you can get DHEAS and you can get ACTH. Those are kind of more standard tests. In terms of liver tests, AST, ALT, GGT, alkaline phos or alkaline phosphatase, and cholesterol. Cholesterol is actually a big liver detoxification thing. So if if you're, especially if your triglycerides are high, so you can get triglycerides with that too, that's, we're definitely working on your liver if those come back high. So those are some labs and stuff that you can ask about. I don't find to be, I don't find conventional labs to be incredibly diagnostic, except for obviously the blood sugar component, because um, fasting insulin is very, very accurate. Uh, with blood. Fasting glucose can be, but there are a lot of factors with it. So if you are suspecting that dysregulation, you can be measuring with a glucometer or a continuous glucose monitor. Those are both great. Um, Just so you can really see what foods do really well with you, what your lifestyle looks like. I think the biggest takeaway that I had from wearing a CGM was, wow, stress really wrecks my blood sugar. So that is just kind of a really good reminder to me that, okay, I really make this a priority because I know how, how big of a, an impact it is. So things that you can start doing, really prioritizing that blood sugar balance and really lowering that inflammation with meals. So that's going to come with probably upping your protein intake. I would suggest that coming from animal-based protein um, because it is more complete in amino acids and it's going to come with a lower carbohydrate load, whereas plant protein typically comes with more carbohydrate, um, which carbohydrates aren't bad. Carbohydrates are very helpful for your adrenals. Um, But again, we just want it to be in a healthy balance for you. And I think I know that animal protein is, is usually always the top dog for that. So um, obviously limiting processed stuff, processed foods, processed sugars, inflammatory seed oils, trying to get really good quality fats, um, good serving, a, a good amount of veggies or fruits that your body does well and tolerates with. I would suggest seasonal, especially for blood sugar. So in the middle of winter, when your body is running at a lower temperature, probably not the best time to be eating guavas and mangoes and super tropical fruits. There's actually some really interesting research that shows when the UV of your region is under five and you're not absorbing vitamin D, your body just does not metabolize tropical fruits and higher glycemic fruits as well as it does when it's hot out, which makes total sense because it's almost like when it's hot out and you're sweating, your body's craving that because there's so much more minerals in those things where in the winter, our body's leaning more towards like rooted vegetables, apples, maybe frozen berries that we would have saved from fresh picking in the fall. And so trying to think about that, because even that in itself can be very helpful for your blood sugar balance, Um, focusing on those liver supporting foods, making sure that you're having a good exercise routine, a good balance of weight training. And then depending on your case, being able to add in hit or a little bit more intense workouts sporadically or intuitively into your cycle, especially if we're suspecting some insulin issues, but you do want to proceed with caution if there's an adrenal component as well. So that might be something that you might want to work with somebody to just make a little bit more personalized for you. Really work on all the gut health. Maybe you're going through a parasite protocol or healing SIBO or candida, 
you're healing your leaky gut with things like bone broth and collagen and glutamine rich sources. Um, and even just optimizing your digestion by eating in a calm, relaxed environment, not eating on the go, making sure that you're just very intentional with what you're eating. Um, loving your adrenals, your adrenals love minerals, salt, vitamin C, protein. Um, your adrenals do not love overstress. Your adrenals love routine and consistency. So meditating, finding those little times and pockets in your day that you can just take that body out of that sympathetic. And you can listen to the podcast that I did, um, is your body always in fight or flight though? That will give you some good tools to really help your adrenals be able to combat that stress a little bit more. And then in terms of supplementation, this is very general and very basic in order for more personalized. I would for sure want to know what your hormones look like. Um, but B complex myo-inositol, um, some type of omega-3 or even cod liver oil. I per, I've been leaning more towards cod liver oil. Um, I love adaptogenic herbs. I love the harmonious uh, support from Aura Organics. It's got so many amazing adaptogens for your adrenals. Um, but otherwise, ashwagandha I, is probably my go-to. Um, Vitex or chaseberry tree can also be really helpful to just really help that brain ovary connection to help produce progesterone. But otherwise there are a lot of other good things that I use in clinical practice, but they're more specific to what I'm finding in that clinical case. So, but those are really good ones to start with if this is something you're struggling with. So hopefully you have a little bit better understanding of how this diagnosis and how this condition has such overarching components to the liver, the adrenals, just overall inflammation, gut health, blood sugar dysregulation, and how you can take really this holistic and whole body approach to be addressing it. So thank you for listening. I hope you learned a lot and be sure to leave a five-star review and share with anybody that you think would benefit from this episode. I appreciate it and I will see you next week.